This is one of those passages in our scripture which is notoriously difficult, challenging. It's always exciting to get up and have to preach to a congregation and tell them, pay your taxes, right? Because <laughs> the Bible says so. But it's just a hard passage, and I struggled a lot with this week, figuring out what was going on and what was happening and why Paul was telling us this. And so we're in this letter to the Romans we've been looking at for quite a few weeks now, looking at what Paul has to say to this church in Rome. Paul, an earlier follower of Jesus, is writing to this community and sharing with them the good news of Jesus, that God has conquered sin, death, and the devil, that he's brought new life, that he's brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, that he's done all these things through Jesus and the transformation that it brings, and he's tried to apply that to this church in Rome to help them understand the situation where there's some division within the congregation, to help them know about the need to support his ministry to explain to them this gospel, this good news of grace, of giving that he's been talking about. And I'm still sorting out kind of what's going on. And we come to this passage in Romans 13, which has been used in a lot of different ways and sometimes very poorly throughout history. It was used here in the United States back in the 1840s, 50s, and 60s to justify slavery, to say you have to submit to the authorities. It was used during the Nazi regime to say, submit to this government. It was used in South Africa to justify apartheid, to ju justify tragedy in Rwanda. So it's often been abused and misused to say, well, this is what the government says, so you have to do it. And so we're going to be taking a look at it. I've been looking at it, and as I read it, it serves what it sounds like, but what's going on here? And why is Paul telling us, what does that have to do with us today in 2023? How can it apply to us? And so one of the things that we recognize always is that context is critical. What's going on around this passage? And I think one of the things we have to recognize is it's not Paul. Paul has been going on, and so in the first 12 chapters of Romans, he's painted a picture of people and how they've fallen into sin, and then he's painted about the justifying work of Jesus to change and to transform and to free us and how that applies to life. And then in chapter 12, there's kind of this turning point where he says he starts to apply it. There's a, it begins with therefore in chapter 12, verse 1. and kind of paints this picture like looking at all this stuff that's gone before, all these things of what God has done in light of all that, how do we begin to live? And I don't think what Paul is doing is stopping at this moment to kind of give us a, an insight into political theology. I don't think he's trying to say all of a sudden, well, wait a minute, I need to talk about politics for a minute because that's what you all want to hear about is politics. But I think he's saying there's something more that's going on. Because if we were to try and develop a full political theology, and by politics, we use that word in different ways. And some of us are just very, we hear the word politics and we just turn off, right? But there's a politics simply means our life together. Politics is better roads. Politics is schools. Politics is sewer systems. Politics is police and fire. All these things, that's politics. What we don't like is partisanship. It's the, this side versus that side. But politics is a part of life. And Jesus has a politic. We are a politic. We have a way of life together. But if we were to try and develop a political theology, in other words, a God way of thinking about politics, about our life together, we'd have to look at a lot more than Romans 13. We'd have to look at most of the New Testament. In fact, we'd have to look all through the Bible and how people respond to the authorities around them, how they live in context with it. We have Romans 13, which talks about the authorities being under God, but we have Revelation 13, which talks about them being under the control of Satan. 
We have all these things going on in the way Jesus deals with it. So all this is happening. And so that's one context is this big picture of the Bible and all that's going on. Another big picture is this was maybe 40 or 50, 20 years after Jesus, maybe 55 AD. And so at that time, Rome is the power. Rome is the empire. And everywhere you went, you would have been reminded of that. This church in Rome, when they walked out the doors of their houses, they would have seen statues to the power of Rome. They would have seen Roman soldiers in the streets. They would have been reminded constantly of the empire, of the imperium, of all that went on in Rome. They would have been reminded as they see the temples and seeing people go to those courts of this. And so Rome and the empire is the foreground of all that's going on. And so we keep that in mind. We keep in mind that earlier in Romans, Paul talks about the Pharaoh and how God used Moses to overthrow Pharaoh. And so I'm still sorting all this out and trying to figure it out, but to say this is not Paul just stopping to do this, it's him talking about other things. And so some of the context to consider are the immediate context. Romans 13 follows Romans 12. We say, yeah, of course it does, because that's how the numbers work. But it's to say Romans 12, what is Romans 12 talked about? It's talked about all these other things. It says, honor one another above yourselves, hate what is evil, share with the Lord's people who are in need, bless those who persecute you, do not repay anyone evil for evil, do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so there's this immediate context of what Paul's been talking about, that he's been talking about this transformative way of that the people of Jesus live differently. The start of chapter 12, he's talked about it as not conforming to the patterns of this world, or as the phrase I used a couple weeks ago, the sense-making schemes. He says, don't, don't be conformed to those, but be transformed. Live a different way. And part of that different way is to love your enemies, to bless them, to overcome evil with good. Not the way the Romans do, where they have overcome evil with the legions and with fear. And so he's painting this picture of what's going on. And then later in Romans chapter 13, he goes on and he says, he talks about how, the thing is, tell me, he says, Romans 13 verse 12, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And he's not talking about sunrise, sunset, he's talking about the new age of God is dawning. And so when he stops to talk about being subject to the authorities, it's in the midst of this context where he said, Live differently than the rest of the world. And oh, by the way, God is starting to take charge. And in the overall context of the letter, it's all in these context of these divisions within the church. It's all about Paul's theology and all that he's thinking and the situation of this Roman church living under power. So all these things are happening. All this stuff is going on. That Paul is writing a letter about the gospel of righteousness and justice for the Jews and Gentiles about peace for these groups. And that Paul's overall picture is that Jesus and Caesar can't both be rulers of the universe. There's room for one ruler of the universe, and it's Jesus. And that's what Paul is talking about. He's also talking to a church where the church in Rome would have been seen as maybe a political threat. They caused unrest. Because they, in their practices, had turned the world upside down. So all this is happening in the context of these things. And so as I said, it comes back and 
as we kind of jump into the passage now, setting this big story, starts off in Romans 12, 21. Do not be, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then immediately he follows it with this. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So we see this thing in, I like what Scott McKnight, a New Testament scholar, says. He says, this means that Romans 13, 1 through 7 is not a theoretical discussion of church and state, but a pastoral aside in an exhortation of learning how to love when the odds are stacked against you. It's an exhortation on how to love when the odds are stacked against you. Because he always says, says overcome evil with good. And now let me now talk about the government. And first of all, he says, be subject to. And I don't know if you have your Bible out, may say different, maybe submit to. But what does it mean to be subject to something? It's to arrange ourselves under. And sometimes we hear that phrase depending on our own status, our own position in life. Because for some people, subjection may be, it may be subjection for one person, but for somebody else, it may be oppression. And so there's this idea where subjection has kind of a, if we could say it, subjective way of looking at it, that be subject to it, but it's arranging under. And to be subject to is not the same as obeying. If Paul had wanted us to say obey, there are words that mean obey. Being subject to is not obedience. There are words for that. It doesn't say give your loyalty or allegiance to. There are words for that. And Paul is clear that our allegiance belongs only to a Christ. But he says instead, be subject to arrange yourself underneath. Be subject to those. And then he says, why? He says, be subject to the governor and authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. What's the point he's making? He's making the point that it may look like Rome's in control. If you look around the world, it looks like Rome's in control, but it's really God that's in control. In other words, what I think Paul is doing is he isn't sanctioning Rome's authority. He's kind of demoting it. Because Rome saw themselves as like, we're in power. We put ourselves in power. We're the power of the world. We rule everything, and we do it by the decrees of the gods. The Roman emperors saw themselves as the son of God. They saw themselves as the representation of God, that all they did was under the authority of the gods. And Paul here is telling this church in Rome as he's writing to them, as they're hearing this letter read to them, he's saying, yeah, Rome thinks they're in charge, but they're not. They're not really in charge. They have an illusion of being in charge, but God's the one who's really there. And it's a reminder that well, because they're there, that it doesn't mean that all they do is the work of gospel justice. We see that governments, okay, question for you. Here's the quiz. Do governments always do the right thing? No. Okay. We can agree on that at least, right? We may disagree on a whole lot of political things, but we can all pretty much agree that governments always don't always do what's right. That the authorities, in fact, often operate according to the principles of this evil age. And notice even the language that was used. Did you hear anything about the government doing justice? No. Talks about them having terror and executing, just, and executing and using the power of the sword. And so this is what they do. Sometimes they do good. Sometimes they don't. And sometimes we debate out which things are the good and which isn't. 
And so that's really the struggle that's going on. And Paul, again, why is he talking about this? Because he's saying, be subject to them. But then we say, well, what about when they don't do the right thing? Because it would be easy to read this. He says, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. So then the question is, do we always have to do what the government tells us to do? Sure sounds like it, doesn't it? What if the government tells you to do something that's wrong? What if the government tells you you can't talk about Jesus? Yeah. And that's why I think we have to be careful and say this isn't all that there is to say about our political theology. Because it says this, listen to this, verse 4, 13, 4. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servant agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Or in the verse before, then do what is right and you will be commended. So let me ask you a question. If you read through the stories of the New Testament and even the stories of Paul, when the followers of Jesus do the right thing, are they always commended for it? No. So I think we got to be careful because Paul's not stupid. I mean, Paul didn't forget the fact that he's been put in jail, that he's been beaten, that he's been brought before the courts numerous times simply for preaching Jesus. And so when he says, do what is right and you will be commended, he says, for the, this is verse 3, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but only for those who do wrong. Paul knows perfectly well that sometimes people who do right are persecuted. In fact, he spent the whole first 12 chapters preaching about who? Jesus. And what's the story of Jesus? A man who was, what, executed. Why? Because he did something wrong? He didn't do anything wrong. Who was he executed by? Rome. The very government that Paul is talking about here, and he's saying, rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Well, there was certainly terror enacted on Jesus, who did what was right and did no wrong. And so I think we have to be careful when we just absolutize this passage and say, well, the government, whatever they do, if they do something, if they punish you, it's only because you did something wrong. And the government, for people who do right, oh, they always do the right thing for them. And so that's not what Paul is talking about. There's plenty of stories in the Bible about people disobeying what the government has to say. Peter in Acts chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. It's talking about this. And remember that this Peter who says this has an almost identical saying to Paul in uh, 1 Peter 2.13, where he talks about submitting to the authorities. And so, I think what Paul is getting at is we don't owe authorities our obedience. But we also don't use violent resistance or revolution. And I think that's what he's getting when he's talking about being subject to, because he's already said what in 21? Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He's saying, it's okay for us as followers of Jesus to name evil. 
In fact, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be calling out and showing the places we're evil. And we can hold the state accountable for that evil. And we do it by force of good, but we may suffer for it. And I think that's what Paul's getting at. He's kind of this irony of saying, I think he's being a little sarcastic here when he's talking about the empire. He says, oh, we'll be subject to government because we all know the government is looking out for you. We all know the authorities are looking out for you. And as long as you do the right thing, everything will go okay. And you'll only be punished if you do wrong. And he's talking to a church that is persecuted. He himself has been persecuted. He's talking about a Messiah who suffered for doing good. So if we take this passage simply to say, Paul's saying, well, just, just always do what the government says because they're always right. It's not what Paul's saying. It may be seem that way when we first read it, but if we think about it, if we look at it, that's not what he's talking about. But he's talking to this church about what it looks like. So why does he bring up these authorities? I mean, he's talked about what it looks like. And he uses then this paying of taxes as examples. And I think what he's getting at is that rather than resisting paying taxes, we live in peace to further the gospel. You say, well, how does that all fit together? Well, I think what he's getting at is when he says this, be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. He's recognizing the authorities, the, the government's under Rome, so the earth is the Lord. So when you pay the taxes, you're in some way saying they don't really have the power they think they do. It's not unlike a story that, of Jesus. Jesus one time was asked about paying taxes. He's given a coin. He says, well, who we pay taxes? And he says, well, look at the coin. Whose picture's on it? He says, Caesar's. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and what is God is God's. But his point is, what belongs to God? Everything, right? So Rome may think they are in control, but they're not. So to pay taxes is a way to say, yeah, I'll give you taxes, but it really belongs to God. And the even more interesting thing at the end of the passage, as we read, he says, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. But if we continue on and flip, and our Bible sometimes throws us off because it has these little headings and we stop at places. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. In other words, all you owe is love. He's kind of painting this picture. And so I think... As we start to think about this, and again, it's a hard passage, I admit. It's confusing. It's, it's what's going on here. But I don't think it's a call for blind loyalty to the nation or to a government. But it's an example of living out this ethic of love. Paul has said, we need to live out love. We need to win people over with our love. We need to overcome evil by doing good. And so when the government comes, the government, which doesn't always do what's right, but they're under the power of God, when it comes then we submit as we need to submit. But sometimes we need to subvert. We need to change that. We need to win them over. We need to obey them when it's the right thing to do. But when, they con when it's contradictory to the laws of God, then we disobey. And we recognize that when we disobey, sometimes we may suffer for it. In the civil rights movement in the 1960s, Martin Luther King Jr. was teaching the people about this Nonviolent resistance, one of the things they did is they had to practice, they had to learn that when they resisted 
they would be subject to punishment. When they would try and cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge, that there would be dogs and fire hoses. When they would sit at lunch counters, they would be beaten and dragged out, that they would be firebombed. But they overcame evil by good. They didn't take the way of violence, returning violence for others, but they took the way of good. But it took practice. It took them knowing that they would be subject to the authorities. And so that's, they lived this out. They said, yeah, we think the laws of the land are unjust, that segregate people based on the color of their skin. But we are also going to subject ourselves to the authority. When they were arrested, they, they took and they were placed in jail. They recognized the authority of the government to do that, but they didn't recognize the authority of the government to do unjust things like enforce segregation. And so there was this power that they had to win them over because they didn't live by the sword. As Richard Hayes says it, he says, how does God treat enemies? Rather than killing them, Paul declares, he gives his son to die for them. It is evident then that those who live lives are shaped, reshaped by Christ must deal with the enemies in the same way that God and Christ dealt with enemies. How did God deal with his enemies? He died for them. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, this is how we deal with authorities and with the powers. And so our response to government authority is to live out a transformed life. But our ultimate loyalty is to God. So that begs the question then, the question was like, well, but which laws? Which laws do we obey then, right? I don't know. No. But we've hinted at it a little bit here. Again, chapter 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whatever, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. This is the law of love. In other words, he's saying as you think about subjection to the authority, does it fulfill the law of love? So any law, one scholar says it this way, any law that calls us to anything short of love is judged by the law of love as null and void. Do the laws fulfill love? And Paul's getting at here, he's setting this context of the things. And why is he bringing this up? Because he's telling them they need to love and they need to love their neighbor. And he says, you need to overcome evil by good. And then he says, for example, the government. The government which oppresses you. The government which taxes you. And think about what taxation... We, we pay our taxes and it's painful. We sit and we write a check in February, March, or maybe April 15th. Or maybe we pay our taxes throughout the year. We recognize, we get our paycheck. And we're like, where did I pay? Wait a minute, I thought I earned more than that. And then we see this thing about talks about taxes. But for the ancient Romans, what did taxes look like? It looked like, most of the time, not coins, but their crops, their livestock. And so it was the Roman government coming and say, well, we're going to take that wagon load of your, your food and take it away. And Paul is saying is to these people, and recognizing that estimates vary, but most believe that in the ancient world, Probably 80 to 90% of the ancient world lived in poverty. Lived in poverty. And so then the Roman government comes along and says, now pay your taxes. The Roman emperor who lives in this grand palace, and we saw this around us, and they say, pay your taxes. And Paul's saying, 
I want you to live out this transformed life. I want you to live differently. I want you to love your neighbor. I want you to overcome evil with good. And for example, the Roman Empire, when that Roman soldier comes to collect your taxes, I don't want you to resist that because they're there by the power of God. They're under the power of God. They're not the ultimate authority. And as you pay your taxes, as you live as a good citizen, you're subverting their power. And we critique the way it's done. And so one of the ways that I think of as we think about our modern world, one of the ways, how do we deal with the government? We live in a very different, we think, well, we have powers to vote. We live in a very different place than the Romans. But I think what Paul is getting at when his, with his line about reminding us that the powers of the government authority are under the power of God, is to not give too much power to the government. I think it's Paul's ironic or subversive way of saying, when he says that, when he says, oh, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. He's kind of poking a little bit at Rome and saying, you really don't have the power you think you have. And I think as we think about our world today, we operate in a very different place. We live in the United States. We have a, a democracy. We, we are involved in voting and we have representatives but I think sometimes we still give too much power to the government and to the authorities. And do you know how I think we do that? By talking about them all the time. When we constantly talk about the government and their authority, it's like they have power, they rule. We sit and we obsess over every little thing they're doing and who said what and what they're doing. And, and we're just giving them all the power. We think, oh my goodness, what's going to happen now? Now the Democrats are in charge. Now the Republicans are in charge. Now this person is the center. Now this person. And now they have so much control. Stop talking about them, people. Just stop. Because every time we talk about those powers, we give them authority because we begin to, as we talk about them, we begin to think, oh, well, they're, they're affecting my life and they're doing this. And what Paul wants us to remind us here is, talk more about God's reign than Caesar's. Talk more about God's reign than Caesar's and put Caesar in his place. Talk less about Biden and Putin and Zelensky. Talk more about who God is and what God is doing. Because God is the one who reigns. It's Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen Messiah who's reigning over things. And we keep looking around saying, oh, the government's in charge and I don't want to. The government's not in charge. That's what Paul wants to remind us. God is in charge. God is the one who rules and reigns. The early Romans were constantly reminded of Rome and its power. And one of the ways they subverted Rome was by simply saying, yeah, fine, Rome. Do whatever you want, but God's the one who's in charge. Deny their significance. They directed their attention away from it to a greater power because one of the fundamental declarations of the early Christians was Jesus is Lord. People went around saying Caesar is Lord and they didn't fixate on that. You very seldom see the New Testament writers talking about what you should do about the government, how you should do it and say, well, Caesar, Caesar. They just simply say Jesus is Lord. And so we live as transformed people saying Jesus is the one who's Lord. And we're called to obey him and to live under his authority. Yeah, the government steps in once in a while and we obey it. We deal with them. It's like, then we kind of move on. We say, no. We think about Jesus who went to the cross willingly and didn't try to unseat Caesar. 
that Rome was merely a pawn for the powers of darkness. So let's not give too much power to the government. I don't think that's what Paul is doing. Paul is not trying to say, give more power to the government. He's saying, give less power to them. Don't acknowledge them as some superpower. He says, well, they're under God's and, and I'll deal with them and I'll submit to them. I'll arrange myself under them and I'll live this peaceful life. But as I live this peaceful life, I'm beginning to subvert and overturn their way of doing things. Because Rome, remember, lived by power. And so there's one of two choices. The, the tax man comes along and you could pay your taxes or you could rebel against them. When you rebelled against them, what happened? You got stomped. You maybe got crucified like Jesus because that's what they did with political rebels. And so he says, don't live that. We don't need to do that. Instead, we can live and we can flourish and we can overcome evil by good. We can say, yeah, we're loyal subjects of Caesar. We live under that, but he's not our king. Jesus is our king. And so sometimes what we need to do is talk about something else. I think ultimately that's the end of this when Paul is talking about this. He says, when it comes to the role and the power of government, sometimes what we do need, simply need to do is talk about something else. And I think most of us are happy to do that, right? When politics come up, talk about something else. But here, I think that's what Paul is getting at. And that something else is God who reigns. And he's reminding us, he's saying, Caesar is not the ultimate power. Congress and the president and the Supreme Court are not the ultimate power. We arrange ourselves under them. We live as good citizens. But when it comes to that moment where we choose God or the government, when one contradicts the other, the choice is always God. We may suffer for that, but we would do that, but that's what God calls us to do. But as we do that, what we're doing is beginning to overcome that evil by good. So may we this week not focus on politics. You get an amen? amen? Amen, right? No focus on politics, but instead focus on God who reigns. The one who reigns and lives over all. So may we do that this week. May we see God as the one who reigns. Because Caesar is not Lord, but instead Jesus is Lord. Amen.